0: Before we jump into our message, which I'm super excited to bring, and just so you know, I'm going to shorten accordingly as well, um, as much as I can, um, but I want to make a really important announcement to us all. Um, guys, if you haven't noticed yet, we are more than full, right? Just have a look around quickly. Take a photograph. If you can see, everyone put your masks on, and uh, we're all, we all masked. Well done. Um, <clears throat> we are not going to look like this next week, and it's not because we're chasing anyone away. We've just read our season. I said to you last week, I said, guys, we're doing all that we can to maximize this space. It's Adventure Church, so it's rolling. I see some of you sitting right through there at Kids Rock on the other side there. It's just, um, we're we're, we're growing and we're loving growing, but we need to do something that we can all utilize this space effectively. Do you agree with me? We have to. We cannot stay this way. Because... People won't be able to come in and join us. And we won't be able to experience the fullness of being together as God's people. Here, it's just not going to work any longer. So, we need to go there. And uh, where is there? There is no longer one meeting at 9.30 as of next week, Sunday. Next week, we're having two meetings. One at 8.30 and one at 10.15. Is that right? Did I get it right? Okay. There we are. Okay, a bit of a little bit of a... Yeah, a bit of excitement, eh? Guys, it's, it's gotta happen. This is not really a decision we, we, we have a choice in. Uh, this is the reality of what, what's happening. There is life that's flowing into our gathering and we're so grateful for that and we want to steward that well. So next week, Sunday at 8.30, if you, if you're watching us online, 8.30, and then again at, uh, 10.15, these meetings will be repeat. So it won't be any need to come to both. Uh, come to one. If you're serving in one though, maybe you're in Kids Rock, uh, or Ignite, which is happening in the first meeting. Moms and dads, kids rocking at night, happening in the first meeting, if we get a whole bunch of volunteers enlisting uh, overnight, um, tonight. Um, We may be able to do in both meetings, but for now, we're saying moms and dads of young kids, come to the first meeting, and we're hoping to grow that. How long are we going to do this for? For the next four weeks, we're going to go until we do our come together at 9.30 meeting in five weeks' time, which is our carols meeting, picnicking on the grass, right? Does that make sense? For four weeks we're going to do this and then we will go to one meeting over the school holidays and then we'll resume again uh, later in January going back to two meetings as we'll need to do that. Does that make sense? What am I asking you to do? I am asking you to pick one of those meetings and to not come at 9.30 next week. That's, That's a given. Here's the second thing. To those of us who are part of this community who are not yet in a serving team, at some point during my message... Forms are going to go around where you're going to have an opportunity to sign up to serve in a team. Now, uh, obviously, if you're one of our family already, great. Just pick one, sign up. You know what it is. Uh, Maybe after COVID, you haven't yet joined a team. That's fine. Now's a great opportunity. But if you're a visitor and you're looking in, this is a four-week sign up and so what an opportunity to get to look under the under the bonnet of our church so to speak by joining a serving team you're not signing your life away this is four weeks joining a team simple things uh, like uh, we're going to be uh, we've got a parking team we've got a coffee team we've got registration team if you remember there's a couple of exclusive serving opportunities for you that's going to be in terms of kids rocket ignite and in terms of worship those are serving opportunities we reserve for members who've been with us for some time. We don't let anyone loose on our kids. You'll be pleased to know, moms and dads. However, if you're a visitor and you're coming in and you want to know more, sign up for the coffee team. Sign up for the registration team. Sign up for the parking team. It's a great way to get to know other Christ followers and to be a part of the community where you can belong, even maybe for some of you, before you believe. As you work out your faith in Jesus, you can join the team and get to know what it looks like to follow Christ by rubbing shoulders with some Christ followers in this gathering. Does that make sense? This is a beautiful moment, isn't it? Let's steward this together. If you have any questions, grab me afterwards at the picnic, or even better yet, get hold of Lee, who really will be able to answer all of your questions. And not me, who is, terribly, or in, terrible, who is terrible with details. Okay, 15. And 8.30 next week, Sunday, last thing to do. Hey, is there someone who should come along? Is there a friend or a family member who you haven't invited perhaps because of space? Maybe you're hanging out online watching this meeting because you think, hey, I know how pressed for space they are. I'm going to free up one seat. The good news is the seats are open as of next week. Pick a meeting, invite a friend sign up for a team, and for the next four weeks, we are going to rock this. And that's going to give us a window into what it looks like next year to make that shift permanently. Ready to go? Okay, well, let's go. Today we're looking at the Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments. I want to stay on the front end. Andrew Wilson has been so helpful for me as I prepare this, especially with the alliteration that he uses that's going to serve us in remembering as well. But before we start the Ten Commandments message, I better say something. Is there anyone here who likes to be told what to do? Hey, I mean, South Africans, we really struggle with conforming to the rules, right? But nobody should tell us what to do. We don't really like that. Uh, And so I know this message is going to be a tough sell in this crowd, right? But before I lose you, let me just lift this quickly before I lose me. Um, We're at maximum capacity. Okay, before I lose you, let me just share an idea with you by way of introduction. I want to say to you this. Rules are important for relationships. Rules facilitate relationships. Rules are all about relationship. Maybe you say, but Luke, I'm sure you've all heard the saying, Christianity isn't about rules, it's about relationships. I'm sure you've heard that. The truth is, though, any relationship that's to be uh, worth the salt as a relationship requires rules in order to be a healthy relationship, Right? These rules help us get on with God, and they help us stay in relationship with God. If kids make a bit of noise today, that's totally okay. I'm a parent of three messy, noisy kids, and we're just going to roll with it. So let's just uh, let it happen. I love it, Justice. Um, Rules help us with relationships. They help us with relationship with God. They help us with relationship with one another. Imagine you were to put up the traffic light right now today, and everyone was to stop obeying the rules. Red light means stop. Green light means go. What's going to happen at that traffic light? Maybe you've seen something like that. It's terrible for South African rugby fans. Rassie Erasmus and his little outburst at the referee. Hey, it's annoying when people don't stick to the rules, right? There were too many rules that were not stuck to in that game. You can hear I'm on the side of Rassie in this one, but but I'm all for rugby as well. Don't get me wrong. Um, but 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 we need rules in order for the game to flourish. In order life to flourish. It's rules that empower us to get on in our relationship with God and to get on in our relationship with one another. Rules foster relationships. And you're going to see today how it's so important in our um, walk with God and in our relationships with with one another that we have rules. So with that in mind, let's transition. We're in Exodus chapter 20 making your way there. If you're a visitor, let me orientate you. At the church, we're in week nine of a series through the book of Exodus. Exodus is a story of how God's people were in slavery in Egypt and how God came down and he rescued them and delivered them from Pharaoh. He did it miraculously. He did it supernaturally. as He, 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 he freed them from the gods of the day and he led them out from under Pharaoh into the desert. He led them through the desert in the wilderness. He provided for them. He he healed them. He fed them. He, he fought on their behalf as he led them to Mount Sinai. And uh, two weeks ago, we began our two-part series, uh, two-part uh, journey through looking at what happens on Mount Sinai. This week, we continue that. Last week, when we looked at Sinai, we, we looked at how God rescues us and puts us into a covenant relationship with him part one God rescues us into a covenant relationship with him these are the clipboards they're going around they're going around with sanitizer so you can touch that pen and then you can sanitize the COVID away right that's the idea all right if this is not for you please feel no pressure just let it go right on by as well that goes without saying okay where were we today we're looking at uh, so God rescues us and puts us into a covenant relationship with him. But now I want to talk about, given that we're in relationship with God, the importance of rules as we look at Exodus chapter 20. Our big idea for the day is a big statement. You're not going to remember it, but by the end of the message, it's going to make sense. Here's our big idea for the day. God's people are rescued. We're a rescued people who are given rules which lead to flourishing in relationship with God and with one another and enable us to represent Him to others. Okay, so the four R's we're looking at is rescued, rules, relationship, represent. Let me put it together again. God's people are a rescued people. Okay, a rescued people who are given rules which lead to a flourishing relationship with God and one another in order that we can represent God to others that's where we're going exodus chapter 20 you know this passage from the 10 commandments if you're a, if you're a christian i wonder if you know the 10 commandments can you don't don't shout them out loud but think to yourself count them off on your hand how many of them can you recite from memory Let's go. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 1. And then God gave the people these instructions. This is where the Ten Commandments actually start. Verse 2. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Before the Ten Commandments are given. God reminds them of the miraculous redemption, the saving act, this rescuing act that delivered them from Egypt. Why is this so important we can't move past this? Because the order matters. The order is vitally important. You see, God did not give them the law, and then when they started to get it right, they qualified, and then he came and he rescued them. This is critical. God Rescued them by grace, and so that when they receive the law, they receive God's law as those people who have already been saved and redeemed by Him. The order is Crucial. It's salvation first, then comes obedience next. Salvation first, then comes obedience. It's rescue that comes before rules. We obey because we've been rescued, not in order to get rescued, not in in order to be accepted by God. We've got to stop and think about this for a second. I'm, I'm so aware of how quickly these two things get blurred. Are you accepted by God because of your obedience? Think about your life and how you relate to God. Are you accepted by God because of your obedience? Or you, do you embrace God's rules? Do you embrace God's rules and obey because you've already been accepted and rescued by Him? Where are you at? And I'm not talking about obeying God's rules once you've been rescued in order to pay him back either. It's, it's not reducing the cross to some sort of transaction that, that God's done first, and then you can kind of match it, and then, hey, then we can go. It's not like a bull, you know. If I offer to pay for a bull, and then you say, no, no, I'll get this one, I'll get the next one, you reduce my gift to you to some sort of transaction. No, no, that, that's not. This isn't I obey because I'm going to pay God back. No, this is I embrace God's rules because of what he did for me. God, you have melted my heart when you rescued me. God, you came to the cross you did what I could never do. You paid the price to rescue me. Of course I want to obey you. Of course I want to follow you because you've won my heart. You've won my life out of out of response to the rescue. Not to pay back, but because you've won my heart. You've won my obedience. You've won my allegiance. Does that make sense? Rescue comes for the Christ follower before rules. And the difference is critical but now does that mean that rules don't matter of course not rules not just for the sake of rules but rules that cause relationship to flourish we're going to see that the rules god's rules i'm using the word rules just because it starts with the r right and we're speaking about the 10 commandments we're speaking about obedience rules isn't the perfect word but it does start with the r and that helps us today and so you know what i'm talking about Rules are going to achieve two things for us. Rescued people have rules. And these rules do two things for us. The first thing we're going to see is relationship. The second thing we're going to see is they help us to represent. But let's look at relationship, verse 3 to verse 6. Let's go. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God says, I am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins on the parents of the sins of the parents on their children. the entire family is affected, even the children of the third and the fourth generations he 's speaking about how my sins as a parent have a tendency to be repeated in the lives of my children as well that 's why it 's important for me as moms and dads, for you guys, dedicating your children this morning as well. We take seriously our holiness we don 't want to pass those things on to our kids but God, in contrast to that, I lavish my unfailing love for thousands of generations on those who love me and obey my commands. What's God saying here? He says, first of all, you shall have no other God but me. God wants their complete undivided allegiance. Think about what a contrast this is to life in Egypt. Remember, they've just been delivered out of Egypt. E- Egypt in Egypt, gods were like, they were like shopping lists of gods, right? Gods of the ground, gods of the sky, gods of the, of the river, gods of the sea, gods of your health. The list goes on and on. There were so many gods. And, and, and the way that you got the most blessings in your life was, was you, would, um, you, would, you, you would enlist with as many of them as you can. Right, in case one God was having a bad week that week, well, you hedged your bets by taking another one. Right, that was the plan, and so, so hopefully they would kind of um, even out. Even if this God doesn't come through for me, a couple of others will, and I'm going to be okay. And this is what God is saying into this polytheistic culture. God is saying, "No, I am not just one more deity to add onto your life. I am the God of the universe. Worship me." And me alone it's exclusive let's apply this to our lives what about us do we worship God alone or do you have a kind of both and arrangement do we try and hedge our beds God yes yes God you but also I trust in my bank balance God, also, I need this thing to come good for me. God, I need you, but I need, I need my spouse. I need my career success. I need this other thing in order to really complete my life. You see, just as they're tempted to make idols and worship them, so you and I are tempted to take the things that me, we make with our hands and to worship those things. We give our ultimate allegiance to the things we make with our hands, our work, our projects, our houses, our bodies, our families, our social media accounts. We can worship them by giving them the unrivaled or undisputed priority in our lives and in our schedules. We worship them by giving to them first and kind of giving God what's left over. God says, no, you you shall have no gods before me. Maybe you're sitting there, you're a visitor, you're thinking, hey, isn't that a little bit exclusive? Isn't that a little bit exclusive? It's a great question. Remember, rules lead to relationship. Imagine, this, this is my wife, Lauren, by the way, uh, if you're visiting. Imagine I was to arrive home one day to Lauren and say, Lauren, I've, I've met someone else, and um, I'm not going to mention any names because there is no one else, obviously. I hate to tarnish your name, um, but, um, but I've asked her to move in with us, Lauren, um, uh, I, I've asked her to move in with us. Um, I'm probably going to spend quite a lot of time with her. May, maybe you should move into the spare room to make space. I mean, I, I still love you. I still love you, and we're going we're to do some stuff together. I'm sure I'll get a gap, but, um, but uh, I just think we should have an, a more open relationship. I mean, I even feel terrible just even saying that. Like, surely Lauren would say, "No way." Surely her jealousy to protect that relationship. The rules that cause that relationship to thrive and to flourish is the most appropriate response to a situation like that. Yeah, You say maybe that's exclusive. Of course, but it's because of its exclusivity. It's because of the rules that the relationship is so precious. And it's because of that that it thrives and it does so well. It's rules that protect and cause the relationship to Uh, To flourish. They foster love. This is what these rules are like. They are critical to the health of the relationship. And so in summary, relationship with God is one of exclusivity. It begins with rescue. It leads to rules. But these rules protect the relationship. Just stop and take a second. I think this is one of the aspects... Of Christianity, I think this is one of the aspects of Christianity that is most neglected and forgotten—the aspect of rules and relation and, and and obedience. Next week we're going to be at two meetings. We're going to be uh, we're going to, it's going to be a far more spacious place to be able to do this. We trust that these leaders are making sure everything's all right there. Um, okay. Where are we? Uh, we are verse 7. Uh, what, what we're going to do now is I'm going to keep moving through these commandments and we're going to unpack some of the tricky ones for our lives, right? We've got rescue, which leads to rules, rules which lead to relationships, number one, and number two, they lead to representing God into the world. And we're going to see how this plays out. Let's unpack these rules. Verse 7, God says, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Another translation of this is, uh, do not use the Lord's name in vain. You've heard that. What does that actually mean? Um, it's not so much saying the phrase as often we hear it, oh my God. You know that phrase we often say, and we think that's what that phrase means. It's not so much saying that, uh, although that phrase does reek of irreverence, except, I must say, in that also culture where I've heard it used, in a very kind of dependent on God kind of way, So I'm not advocating we should use that, uh, but I'm saying that this verse is not saying that. This verse, actually properly understood, is closer linked to the idea of perjury. When you make an oath in God's name, and then you break that oath. Why is that so important? Because God's name is associated with his nature. And so when you break that oath and you, you, you actually tarnish the name of God, you misrepresent God to others. And God takes this very, very seriously. Verse 8 continues. And interestingly, the longest of the Ten Commandments. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day no one in your household may do work this includes you your sons your daughters your male your female servants your livestock your foreigners all those living among you for six days the lord for in six days the lord made the heavens the earth the sea and everything in them but on the seventh day he rested that is why the lord blessed the sabbath day and set it apart as holy. It's just the longest of all the Ten Commandments. He takes time to slow down and make sure we understand to Sabbath. Today is the Sabbath. today's Sunday. It's our day where we stop. And it reveals, why is this so significant? It reveals how Israel is to be distinct from all the other nations of the world who simply did not do this. This wasn't common practice of the day. All the other nations would simply just work. You would go about your business on the seventh day, just like that. But God says, No. To be mine is to cease, to stop, to set aside this day as holy and to cultivate your relationship with me. It is holy unto the Lord. Which means Sabbath is not just about stopping or ceasing. It's not just about a lazy day off or getting to all those things around the house that you haven't been able to get to, right? It's also about, and the phrase there we read is keeping it holy. Sabbath is designed to help us become spiritually stronger and closer to God, as well as helping us recuperate from work that we did in the week and anticipate work in the coming week. Again, rules that cause relationship to flourish. Jen Wilkin, writing of this, she says this brilliantly. Sabbath rest requires that we deny ourselves the material gain or sense of accomplishment that a day of labor brings. Our natural inclination is to believe that we are keeping the world rotating on its axis. A mindset that feeds the ceaseless work ethic. Sabbath presses on that mindset. It is not merely a rest that restores, but it is a rest that reorientates. It reminds us that we are not God. When you stop today... And you say, yes, there are demands in my life. Yes, there are things to get to. But I stop now because my life and the world do not rise and fall on the tide of my effort. But actually, God's hand is the one that does that. And so, therein today, it's an issue of trust. I stop. I cease. I reorientate my mindset. Not to the fact that I will achieve and I will secure and I will do, but God, you do. And then I engage next week from that place of rest. Incredibly different, eh? We continue. A little bit of a gear change in the Ten Commandments now. So far, all the commandments have been vertical, right? Right? They've all dealt with our relationship with God. But you notice from now, every one of these from now are more horizontal. They deal with our relationship with one another. We're going to go quite swiftly through these ones as we work our way through them. Number one, honor your father and mother. Verse 12, honor your father and mother. Then you will live a long, full life in the land that the Lord is giving to you. I'm not going to talk too much about these, but simply to say, this moment on this planet, certainly in our part of the world anyway, As far as I'm aware through history, I'm sure there's been other times where it's been true. But it's probably the moment that I'm aware of where we've least come to value the elderly. We've kind of pushed those who are elderly to the outskirts of society. We've got a kind of chronological snobbery where we think we've discovered everything. We know everything. We no longer need to rely on the wisdom of the generations that have gone before us. And it's this kind of real arrogance that's crept in to our modern generation, whereby previous generations would esteem the elderly. In fact, the communities of the world where people do literally live the longest, communities in Italy and communities in Japan where people literally do live the longest in years are communities where people live... With their, with their parents and their grandparents in similar little communities, and they live around one another. There is honor shown to the elderly in those communities. There is a, there is a, a wisdom that is um, there that is brought through and appreciated by other generations, and it literally leads to the longest living generations in the world. If you want to look in Google, you can go and see that. But we honor those. As Christ followers, we honor those who are more senior in years among us. Continues verse 13. Do not murder. Literally, two words in Hebrew, never murder. You must not commit adultery. Why not? Because adultery dismantles what God has joined together. Marriage in some way reflects our relationship with God. It's it's put on kind of display in a human covenantal marriage, and so we don't break that. Verse 15: You must not steal, don't testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, not even his ox or even that special donkey um, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. What is coveting? Coveting is longing or desire to have or to possess something that is not yours. It's a heart thing. It's an internal reality that if not checked, will overflow into the breaking of the other commandments. Okay, I said we're going to trim down. Let's trim down. We've got to understand how profoundly different these laws are. Spoken into this culture made this people. It was revolutionary. They would be distinct among all the peoples of the earth by living in this particular way. If you put all of these things together, you would end up with a people that are unlike any other on the face of the earth. And it was because they were rescued. Then they embraced the rules of God. They lived on in relationship with God. And when they did that, they became representations. They became representatives of who God is. and God's wisdom to their world, and the nations around them would be able to watch their lives as they live this way to get a glimpse of the character and nature of God himself. It's this covenant people that is invited into a covenant lifestyles that as they live in these covenant lifestyles, they reflect to a watching world the character and nature of the God to whom they've been joined. What's the application for us today? Just like that, those people then, we today are in the same boat. We are God's people called to be distinct from our world. And obedience and living God's ways and following God's rules are critically part of what it means to be and to do that. I think we've undercooked that aspect in modern Christianity Remember two weeks ago, God said, I will make you a holy nation. I will make you a kingdom of priests. We said, what does it mean to be a priest? Not, not just the priest, not just the, I'm not a priest, I'm a, I'm a pastor. But but, but we, we often, some, often get mistaken, like someone i will be on the beach and they say, oh, you're a priest. I go, no, no, I'm not a priest. But um, it's not just a special crew of people that are the priests. Even then. This is not speaking to the Levite line. This is speaking to the nation. You will be a kingdom of priests. What do priests do? Priests represent God to others looking in. God chose them then, and he chooses us now as Common Ground South Pen, to be priests. In other words, to represent him to a world that is watching us. And it's his rules, it's his will, it's his word as we seek to live in his ways that enables and empowers us to do that. So if we put all of this together as we move towards landing, if we put all of this together, we are God's people who are a rescued people. That's where it starts. Are you a rescued person if you've been saved by christ are you a rescued person who are given god's rules which we embrace because our hearts have been won through the rescue we don't kick against them i'm sure some are harder to get their heads around than others but but the way we get there is by our hearts being softened through understanding freshly our rescue which leads to a flourishing relationship with God and one another, which enable us to represent God to others. How did they do? How did they do then? They managed to break every single law that they promised to keep. That's the reality. They broke every single one. In fact, next week, Mike's going to be preaching, and we're going to see how they get off to a howler of a start, and they make a golden calf, and they start worshiping the golden calf. Why? Why do they fail so miserably? The bottom line is because they've been delivered from the external evil of the culture, Egypt, but they have not yet been delivered from the internal reality of evil alive in each of their hearts. If you've been here for any time at all, you've probably heard me quote Alexander Solzhenitsyn. In his book, The Life of Ivan Denisovich, where he said, we would love to believe, would we not, that evil is out there. That that we could separate the good people from the bad people. And the bad people could be there and the good people there. He says, but the line between good and evil does not run through society like that, does it? It runs through every single human heart. Mine, absolutely. And yours too. This rescue did not deal with that evil. But in their failure, God makes them a promise. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 to 34, this is what God says to them. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt, the one we've just read. They broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You shall know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. I'll read that again. But this is the new covenant I'll make with them. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write my law on their hearts this is the rescue that comes through Christ. This is the rescue that comes through Christ for every single one of us. God says, then I rescued them from external evil in Egypt. Now I rescue you from even internal evil within yourselves. There is nothing we could do to rescue ourselves. You try and clean your heart up. Come on, you try and, we we fail even our own standards, don't we? How many times do you say to yourself, I'm not going to do this thing again? Then you do the thing again. We can't can't even meet our own standards, let alone clean our own hearts. Yet, Christ comes. How does he do it? Jesus came and he lived with, he was born with a sinless heart. Born of God on our behalf. Living a sinless life. Fulfilling these laws that we've just read. On our behalf. Then, paying the price for our infidelity. As if he had broken them. Because we had. Now... For those of us who believe, his holiness in fulfilling the law is accrued to you and to me. We stand before God forgiven and guiltless because of what Christ has done. The Bible teaches that in that act of salvation, he makes us literally a new creation. The bias at the center of your being. I am a new creation. It's no longer flip a coin. Is it going to go 50-50, good or evil? No. The bias of your nature because you've been made alive to Christ is not flip a coin, good or evil. The bias of your nature is good because you've been made a new creation. Something altogether new has been put at the center of who you are. And then God comes and lives within you with his spirit. This new nature put at the center of you and the spirit of God comes upon that within you and we're capable of living lives that Israel could only dream of. You and I as Christ followers, as common grounders here deployed by Christ into this peninsula are rescued in such a way that God has redeemed us. He has put something new at the center of who we are. He has sent his spirit to empower us so that we are capable of living lives of obedience that we could never have done in and of our own strength. And that is how we live in relationship with God, and we follow his rules, and that is how we represent him before a watching world. Is that not just the most beautiful thing in the world? We must land, and I would love to pray for us as we land. Can, we, can I ask that we stand together? We're not going to sing um, now, but I want to do a moment before Jesus where we do business with him. Rules before, no, rescue before rules. See how easy it happens? (laughs) Where are you at? Where are you at? Rescue. Are you accepted because you you, you did well and you, you nailed the laws? Or are you rescued just as you are, but not left that way? Christ as a people, we come before you, God. We 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 freshly want to understand the privilege and the responsibility that we have as a church of representing you to our community, God. Thank you so much for your incredible rescue. I pray for those today, perhaps it's you, for whom your rescue has kind of faded into the background of your life. You've fallen out of wonder with Christ's saving act in your life. I want to say to you that the gospel, Jesus' salvation over you is, is the thing that humbles you. It causes your heart to be soft, makes you responsive to God. It makes us humble before other people. Is that still is is Christ's saving act His rescue in your life? Is that still the most beautiful, wondrous thing that captivates your imagination and your your heart each day, or was have you kind of moved past that? Jesus, bring us back to that place of understanding Your great rescue for our lives. I pray for us as a people, God, that we would be those who out of rescue and understanding our rescue would respond in loving obedience to you, Jesus. We want to be a people who live countercultural lives, who live kingdom oriented lives in the midst of a world that doesn't know you. We want to live in your ways, God, that we would be able to embrace your ways of living because we understand how much it is you've done for us, just how you love us that empowers our lives lived toward you and in your ways, Jesus. Perhaps you're here today and you've understood for the first time what it is to be rescued as a Christ follower. This is not you cleaning up your life and coming to God. But it's God rescuing you, putting a new heart at the center of your being. Not a physical one, but a new spiritual heart alive to God. Forgiving you and cleansing you of all of your wrongdoings and then filling you with His Spirit and empowering you to live in ways you've never been able to live in and of your own strength. I want to pray for you if that's you. Christ, would you rescue me? You pray these words after me. Jesus, would you rescue me? I can't clean my own heart. I can't get rid of the stuff inside of me, God. But you can, Jesus. Thank you that you lived a sinless life. On my behalf, where I failed, you succeeded. Thank you that your sinless life could be accrued to me, accredited to me before God as my righteousness. That God would no longer see all all the places I've dropped the ball. But God would see your righteous life accrued to me and therefore I am accepted. Not even not because of anything I've done, even in fact, in spite of what I've done, God. That you would put a new heart in me, a tender, soft heart to you, a living conscience, alive to your ways, God. And you would fill me with your spirit and empower me to live in your ways. I ask this, Jesus, in your name. God, and I pray your spirit empowering us as a church. Would you empower us to live holy lives? I pray for those right now who are in the middle of difficult situations. you want to honor Christ, but it's just so hard. You wanna, it might feel like sticking it out. It might feel like making a difficult decision where you need courage to obey. I pray grace to you. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would empower us. And you would, you would give us a confidence in you, God. And you would give us a, a will, God to be able to make the decisions that honor you tomorrow, today, as we guide into our community. God, I pray you protect our witness, that we would represent you to the South Peninsula and beyond, to the city of Cape Town. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.